This the remix. You're sitting in the press box with Granny and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Jumping back into the Las Vegas Raiders. Darren Waller was on the Ross Tucker podcast last week. Got asked about his contract situation. Darren Waller, uh, as of right now, is the 15th highest paid tight end going into the 2022 season. He does not have guaranteed money left on his deal. Not that they would, but conceivably, the Raiders could cut him right now. And he would not get any money for it. More realistically is if he were to have a bad or injury prone season this year, he could be cut at the end of this season season. and would not get any money left on his contract. Um, But he was asked about on the Russ Tucker, Russ Tucker podcast. And here's what Darren Waller said. My agent is working on that. I understand it, but I know if I focus on it too much, it could take away from my job and learning a new system and just continuing to try to elevate and take care of my body the right way. I try to focus on those things and let my agent handle that. When decisions need to be made, decisions need to be made. I think that's the key. When decisions need to be made. When he says my agent is working on that, do you read that as my agent is currently right now talking to the Raiders about an extension and it's going to happen this off season? Or is that just sort of a flippant, Ah, my agent works on my contract. That means nothing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the agent is calling the Raiders, but it's the Raiders who make the decision, and I don't know if they feel they need to extend him with two years left on his deal. And this is, what have we seen from these guys? Year out on Carr, year out on Devontae, right? Two pretty important players in your system. I don't know if I feel a need right now to rush and sign Darren Waller, who's 30 years old and has had some injury problems. So this is... I think for for a player and an organization, you are in a situation where it is in the best interest for both sides to do the exact opposite thing, right? Like Absolutely. For like the Derek yes. Carr, you can make an argument why it's smart for the Raiders to give Carr a big contract, right? He's, sure. he's a decent quarterback, right? You could very easily end up with something much worse and your team's terrible. But for Darren Waller, right? We're talking about he'll be 30 in September, so he's playing, this will be his, he'll be 30 years old for this season. Coming off an injury, I think it's highly unlikely Darren Waller is ever as good or as productive as he was two and three years ago, right? When he was awesome, when he was the number one guy on this Raiders team in terms of receiving. I think it's very unlikely that Darren Waller reaches that point again. One, because A, he's into his 30s. B, he's coming off an injury. And C, Devontae Adams now exists. And Hunter Renfro had a breakout year. He is no longer the de facto number one target. He's going to be fighting for targets. And so if you are the Raiders, I think you look at all of that and you say, yeah, you're in a contract for two more years. Like we, like we can't justify. We don't need to do anything. Right. Paying you a big deal. No. But at the same time, if you're Darren Waller, you're 30 years old, you're coming off an injury. You're probably not going to be as productive as you were in the past. You probably need to get a new contract now. You need to get as much guaranteed for as long as you can get it guaranteed. That would be my priority if I was Darren Waller. And it's where it's both camps. I think, like, if I'm Darren Waller, I'm pushing my agent. I'm saying, listen, I I want a new deal. 
before this season starts, right? I want some more guaranteed money. I want more money, period, right? He's the 15th highest paid tight end. He's obviously much better than the 15th tight end in football. Like, he, like if I'm Darren Waller, I'm pushing for that. The question becomes, and this is where it's a negotiating tactic versus who's doing what. Would he be willing to sit anything out? Well, with no it's, guaranteed money, and if you hold out at camp, it's fifty thousand a day. You start losing a significant amount of money. A lot of money. And like, is he willing to do that? And and on the flip side, if he is, are the Raiders willing to let him sit out? Are they willing to let him not? Play? I get the feeling, as little, but you know, we've been around them some with Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. They would say you're losing fifty thousand a day. I think they would too. But I think they would be. I think it would be very fair. They'd be very open to fair criticism because they went all in this season, trading for Devontae right. Adams, giving up giving, picks, bringing and giving Chandler Carr Jones, a contract, giving Carr the essentially one year extension. Right. right, they can pick up the option effectively at the end of this season. But they went all in on this season. They can't have Darren Waller sitting out. You can't go all in and then just watch Darren Waller not be on this field. But if they'd be open to some criticism, wouldn't that mean they're going to wait? Right. I, I think that's what they would do. But then oh, you're be... saying that's what you don't think they should do. No, but I think if you're if you're going, all the moves they've made have suggested they're going all into win. They're trying to win but now, right, right now. now, right. And if you then go into August, you're into training camp and preseason games, and Darren Waller is not participating or threatening, whatever it is, Darren Waller is not there. I think the team would then deserve a lot of criticism because you're oh, all in. I, I misunderstood what you said. I thought that they, you said they would be open to criticism, which, oh, I think well, that, which I think those two guys wouldn't care. Right, yes, but it would be fair to criticize them okay, right. by saying, listen, you're all in, and you're letting Darren Waller sit out because right. you're not willing to give him more money or guarantee whatever Darren Waller would end up wanting. I think that would be the pressure on the team because, listen, they're all in this year. He's one of their seven, eight most important players, yes. right? I mean, offensively, I guess we could consider the offensive line the most important because they might suck or they might be average and that might make or break the offense. But I mean, he's one of their best players. If you're all in, you can't have one of your best players sitting out, not there. Right. If you were rebuilding or if you were just, hey, I hope we win nine games, then yeah, okay, Darren Waller sits out because you're trying to figure out the right and number. And you should let him lose his money. But if you're all in, like they are, I can. I, there's there would be a lot of pressure to me on the team as well. I don't think they would do it, but there would be a lot of pressure for them to say, okay, we got to give him what he wants because we're all in this year. I know these guys make a lot of money, but I'm going to be really interested to look across the league and to see holdouts given what right. you're When what it's you're, that significant. That's a, that's a, I don't yes. care how much you make. Yeah. Two days in, you you owe him a hundred grand. I mean, that's a lot of money. Like one Tommy Fam fantasy. Yeah, league. exactly. It's a Tommy Fam. <laughs> who, who would go up and slap Darren Waller in the face? <laughs> what are you doing? Okay, we need on. you. That that's the question. Waller holds out. Does Derek Carr slap McDaniel's and Ziggler for not giving him the contract, or Waller for holding out? I don't know how secure Derek Carr ever is. I think he'd slap the player. <laughs> <laughs> the other two have the ability to cut you after one year, right? So yes. you don't want to piss them off. Yes. Darren Waller's like, I'm just going to slap my teammate and hope he doesn't come back after me. I mean, I wouldn't slap the guys who can cut me in a year. So the interesting part on the Raiders in their offseason, tomorrow 
is the June 1st uh, date where we've talked about Money this. freed up. They're going to have a lot more cap space tomorrow because of post-June 1st right. cap hits. There is enough money. And granted, it might not even matter for this year depending on how you structure the um, extensions. But there should be enough money tomorrow to sign guys to extensions or bring in Bring agents. in other players. Do you believe, because this, this would be my thought if I was running the Raiders, do you believe that they should extend one or both of Waller and Renfro? I think at this point, if I had to pick one, Renfro. I'll go back to my thoughts on Darren Waller being 30 in September and coming off an injury, and you already have him locked up for two years. I just don't understand why you would feel a need to rush Darren Waller. I don't. If I were the Raiders, tomorrow Hunter Renfro would have a new contract extension, and I would not give Darren Neither Waller a contract. I might I might agree to like guarantee his money for this season or something, or maybe even next two years, because again, he's not making very much. He's the fifteenth highest paid tight right. end. Like I might agree to guarantee some money for him, but if I was the Raiders, I would not give Darren Waller a new contract this offseason. No. I just wouldn't do it. I would let this season play out and hope that he doesn't hold And if out. he's great and not injured, then reevaluate. I and even then I still might not give it and to him next offseason, but I that I would I would do everything I could as the, if I was the organization to not give him that extension. Maybe guarantee the money, but I I'd not give him lock up Renfro. Right, but I would lock up Hunter Renfro because right. I I if I'm the Raiders, I think I need Two of those three going forward. I don't think I need all three going forward into the future. I want all three this year, but I think going You're forward into the Adams. future. Adams, Renfro, and Waller, the three right. big receiving targets. Well, of those three, I wouldn't sign Waller. Right. I think going into the future, I'm saying I want to have two, at least two of these three. Right. And Adams would be the number one option. Renfro would be my number two option. Waller would be my number three. I agree. Right. Now, maybe if Hunter Renfro is asking for like a ridiculous, if he's asking, I guess he could be asking for uh Christian Kirk money. But if he's asking for just way too much money, maybe I don't sign Hunter Renfro because he wants too much money. And I say, okay, we'll sign Darren Waller because he's being more reasonable about it. But that would be even my... then I wouldn't sign Darren Waller. I'd try right. to go out, I'd use the money and go out and get other players. Go get Christian Kirk, right? Sure. <laughs> $19 million for seven catches and 47 yards. Uh so I am curious to see what if, if anything does happen tomorrow, but I'm curious to see how quickly we see a Renfro or Waller extension. If we see a Renfro or Waller extension, because you can make the the other argument, and again, don't expect this to happen, but it is completely plausible that the Raiders suck this year and they move on from Carr and Devontae Adams after this season. Sure. They they have based on their contract structures, they, they can have the ability do to do that. And I I do wonder if there's any sort of chance that they say. We're not signing Renfro and we're not signing Waller because if things go poorly, we don't want any of you back, right? I do wonder if they could do something. I think Renfro's good enough and young enough that you can give him the four-year extension or whatever, and you're not gonna. He's, it's not going to be a bad contract three no, years from no. now. You're going to be like, oh, okay, he's still. You give Waller a four-year extension at that age and that those injuries, it could be a bad right. contract. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. If he's got guaranteed money three or four years in the future, That's... you – not yeah. There's a big chance that's a bad guy. Right. Renfro, much, much right. less likely. So the Renfro one makes a lot of sense, but I I you know what would be funny is if they somehow they gave Renfro and Waller both new contracts, but it was like Carr and Adams where they both had one, one guaranteed year, year and then after next year, we can dump both of you. Yeah. And we got no problem. That would be kind they of They seem funny to love those type of contracts. Yeah. I mean they, they say 
listen, they traded away the first second round pick for Devontae Adams. It wouldn't be good if this happened. But they set themselves up pretty well to go all in on this season. And if it doesn't work, well, they're not in a terrible spot. These going are the forward. two main contracts we've seen from these guys, right? And um, Crosby. Max Max Crosby's does not have the one year out. Crosby okay. is, I think, two and a half or three years okay, of that is guaranteed. fully guaranteed. Okay. So Crosby's here, but Crosby's like what is he, 24 or something? Yeah, 25 he's, yeah, he's and completely young. has been really good. Like it's it's pretty easy to envision Crosby being really productive for, for three or time. four more years. Yeah. That's not hard to see. You, you could very easily see Carr Adams have significant drop-offs over the next two to three seasons. Yeah, like exactly. that's not crazy to think. And that's they did a very good job of setting themselves up to get out of their two, I think they're actually still their two biggest contracts. I don't think no, maybe Crosby's bigger. It but has to be. Two of their three biggest contracts they can get out of after one season if things just go horribly wrong. Again, it's not good if that happens, but they did a good job setting themselves up. And now it's, it's not going to happen. Right. Presumably, they're not going to go 5-12 five five and, and, and have to cut everybody. Now, the interesting part will be what happens if they go 8-9 eight or 9-8 eight and, or nine and eight and miss the playoffs. Do you run it back and say, we can do this? Or is 8-9, eight 9-8 nine, nine and eight like, ooh, gross? I think at 9-8 and eight they run it back. I would think so too. I think you'd be looking at well, this is our best option aside. If they from had some injuries, if they had up. some built-in oh, excuses. Oh, the Golden Knight excuses. Sure. Oh sure. man, are we gonna have man games lost oh. at the end of the NFL season? <laughs> Look at these man games. Six gonna... games, man. Six man games lost out of <sighs> seventeen. All of a sudden, we're gonna have aces injuries too. We're gonna just be like games lost for all the teams in Las Vegas. Mark Davis, we need another voice. <laughs> we need a new voice. Who's the new voice? No, that's what he already did. They needed a new voice from Lambeer. They Josh McDaniels gets a new job in two years and goes to the Super Bowl. <laughs> sure. Why wouldn't it? It works out that way sometimes with coaches. Hey, Galan hasn't made it yet. He hasn't made it. We're, we, are, we are cheering hard for that. All right. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs. Son, I didn't understand a word you just said. Bischoff's Briefs. Hey, thanks. That is not a compliment. Ah, I disagree. Bischoff's Briefs. Okay, well, that was just a list of complete nonsense, but you're not totally wrong. Bischoff's Briefs. All right, I got to change what Bischoff's Briefs is about today. Um, Because we finally got a close game in the NBA playoffs. We actually had a shot attempt in the final 30 seconds that could have tied or taken the lead. It's like the first time in like, it's like first time in like 20 days that we had a team take a shot in the final 30 seconds that could tie or take the lead. Finally got one. And the best part of having close basketball games and doing a radio show is debating, arguing, yelling about what players should have done in close game scenarios. So Jimmy Butler down by two, less than 20 seconds to go. Pulls up for three in sort of a semi-transition situation. Wasn't a full-on fast break, but it wasn't, you know, five-on-five half-court setup there. Al Horford was the primary Celtic back on defense. There were two other Celtics that were back inside the arc as well, but Horford was the primary guy guarding Jimmy Butler. He pulls up for three. I'm going to tell you why that is the exact shot that should be taken in that scenario. Jimmy Butler is not a good three-point shooter. That is understood. He's under 30% in the regular season, uh, was actually 34% in the postseason, which is not good, but 34% is not horrendous like he is in the regular season. But here's why. Jimmy Butler tried to win the game 
the criticism of Jimmy Butler saying he should have driven to the basket are people saying he should have tried to prolong losing. And this is a very similar argument to why NFL teams need to go for it more on fourth down. Very similar argument. You're playing to win the game, not to prolong losing. Because if Jimmy Butler drives in that scenario and takes a two-pointer, right? First off, if he misses, same exact results. You miss the shot. You've got a foul Boston, whatever. But same result. If he makes it, though. The two-pointer? Yes, the two-pointer. You're tied. You're not winning the game. You're tied. The shot clock is turned off, which means Boston has the last chance. Has the chance to win the game. If you go for two in that scenario, you're playing for overtime. Mm-hmm. And you're hoping that you, you get can stop. get a defensive stop to go to overtime. Right. Whereas if you take the three and you make three, you're up one. If you get a defensive stop, you win. You win the game right there. There is no overtime. Now, yes, other things can happen. Jimmy Butler could have gotten fouled and had an and one and gotten three points and won the game that way. And ones are pretty rare. They don't happen. Like, there's some weird stat where LeBron has, like, as many and ones as playoff games or something like that. And, like, that's the most ever. You don't get a lot of and one baskets. You could also have had, like, hey, you make the two and then Boston turns it over on the inbound pass. Also very rare, right? It it happens, but very rare. So, like, there's other things that could be accounted for. But the primary expected results here are made basket, missed basket, right? And then Boston doesn't turn it over. If you make the three, you're playing to win. If you make the two, you're playing to tie. Now, if you actually get into the percentages, and I'm not going to do the actual math on the radio for you, but Jimmy Butler is the rare NBA who is actually a pretty good like mid-range shooter, but sucks from three. Like there's just some guys who their range stops at like 18 feet. Right. And he's like a career, like 45% mid-range shooter, which is good. And like a terrible three-point shooter. Most guys that shoot 45% from the mid-range shoot like 38% from three, but Butler's sort of the rare case that he's not. But even with him as a bad three-point shooter, he should still be taking the three because the math is still going to work out in terms of win probability. Taking the three is a better scenario. A 30% chance at a one-point lead is better than a 50% chance at tying the game is effectively what that comes down to. And you also start to factor in that Jimmy Butler played every second of that game. Jimmy Butler going to overtime probably wouldn't have been very good for Miami. So him trying to win the game right there, I have absolutely no problem. The only the only argument that I think is fair is that Jimmy Butler sucks at three points, three pointers. But even then, in the postseason, he shot 34%. Like he wasn't a completely atrocious this postseason. But even then, it's still the better shot to take the three and try to win the game. Not, hey, if we get a defensive stop, we go to overtime, yeah. everybody. I didn't have a problem with them taking the shot. Yeah. I had no, no. issue. I thought it was the Right shot right away. The only time I questioned it was Mark Jackson agreed that it was the right shot. <laughs> and normally I'm like, whoa, Mark Jackson. There goes that man. Because Mark Jackson didn't understand a two for one in the first half of this game. Right. He was like, well, I'd rather right. have one good shot than two than go for two for one. And that is mathematically incorrect. And then the coughing Van Gundy probably uh, corrected him because yeah. he corrects him all the time. Yeah. But like, every, here's the thing. Every game that Mark Jackson calls, he says something to ensure that he will never be a head coach again. Right. 
And he agreed with that shot. And I was like, wait a minute, I might be wrong here. <laughs> but then I was like, nope, I'm right. Mark Jackson got one right for once. But man, Mark Jackson says some dumb things where you're just oh, like, man. how is he the coach? Man. And he co- he coached for a long time. Right. Yeah. It's like, he, seriously, he did not understand. Like the, the math on two for ones is that two bad shots is better than two good or yeah, than, than one, than good, one shot. good shot. It always is. It is at every level right. of basketball. And Mark Jackson was like, no, two for one, whatever. Give me one good yeah. shot. It's like, no, you're that's just that's just wrong. I hope Van Gundy said something. I, I think he was too busy coughing to <laughs> correct him. But it's like every game. He, he usually says will, by the way. Right. He'll be like, you're an idiot. That doesn't matter. No. Yeah. no. Or he'll say something like very sarcastic. It's like, that's not a foul. <laughs> like Mark Jackson's all been found. Like you'll hear Van Gundy in the background saying, that's not a foul. Oh. He, but he no, he was too busy working the cough button to, to actually correct <laughs> Mark Jackson there. But that is my that I'm glad we got a close game so we can talk about right. actual close game scenarios because that's that's what's fun about sports is we have a close game. Somebody did something, and was it the right move or not? Given our hot takes, or we wait till Thursday? We'll wait. We'll wait for the NBA finals. Yeah, yeah. Don't need no wait need to, to give our hot, no, no, give our hot takes on. We'll we got, we got a whole to, show tomorrow to predict. Yeah, we to got predict. a whole show tomorrow. Right. If you want to give them now? Come I'll on. I'll give mine at the. I'm not Do here we, Thursday. I'll give mine. No, yeah. no. Do we um, get to claim we were right about the Miami Heat? Absolutely. They lost in they seven. They were very good. Though. They no, were that no, Jimmy no, Butler no. three from going no. to the finals. If, if it's if it's not for Butler going nuts for two games, these guys are out in like five. No, no. Okay. No, we do not. We do not have to back up on. We that. don't have to act like no. we should have respected the Heat. We can. And if Jimmy Butler's three goes in, we're sitting here eating crow today, saying, "Man, we were wrong with those." Guys. No, we weren't. If if he if he hits that, we're like, "Oh, they're getting swept." We would have spent the whole day <laughs> talking about them getting swept by the Warriors. By the Warriors, yeah. We'd be like, "Ah, Udonis has them. What an idiot! They're getting swept." That's what we've done the entire show. Here's the other thing that I'm curious about: um, How should we characterize Jimmy Butler in the playoffs? Because the Miami Heat got one game away from going to the finals. He averaged 27 points per game in the postseason. This was a pretty beat up Miami team by the time they got to the conference. He was finals. pretty beat up. Yeah, he and yeah, he's he one of those guys. He had in game uh, six, he had 47 of this series. In game seven, he had 35. Right. Right. Game one, he had 41. Game two, he had 29. It was game three and four, right? Where he. This was his run, game three, four, and five. Uh, eight points, six points, 13 points. Like he was very clearly awesome at times in this postseason. Right. We'll, we'll probably look back and say three of the five best performances of the postseason were Jimmy, Jimmy Butler, Butler games, right? Like that's probably going to be the reality. We'll see if somebody goes nuts in the finals, but that's probably the reality here. But he also had three games in this where he was a complete non-factor, was not good at all. But how? Like, I, I don't know how to characterize but, this. Yeah, because, I well, I think he was injured the whole playoffs. But when you go three games like that, the the games are every other day. So I don't know if we can let him off the hook for the bad games because it's every other day. And then he came back and had great games. Right. That's so I don't know if you can let him off the hook because he was hurt. He was hurt. He was hurt when he scored 44. Right. Like if if game six, if he had scored seven points and they got eliminated, then we'd be like, wow. And you're like, oh, he was hurt or right. whatever. But game six, he, he had 47. And he had like, 36 the other day. <laughs> I have a feeling it's because of what Draymond Green said. Oh, that's what it is. Oh, Motivated yeah. him to go off. You, actually, Jimmy Butler didn't care what Draymond Green no. said. He was just afraid of Udonis Haslam. 
Haslam came to Butler. Haslam was like, have hey, look, you seen what this look, Draymond Green guy said? He I'm going sla- to slap you in the face. Yeah, you better go off for 50. And Butler was like, oh, God. No, I don't think we can look back and give him a, a pass for the bad games. But, like, he was very clearly, he was one of the, I mean, we'll see what people do in the finals. But we're going to look, but he was very clearly one of the, what, four best players in the postseason. Yes. Right? Like, whatever yeah. that number is. I don't know where you want to rank him exactly. But very clearly, he had one of the best postseasons of anybody this year and was one game away from the finals, had some of the best performances, but also had three games in the Eastern Conference Finals performances. where he wasn't wasn't good, right. right? And like, and it's not like he got better in terms of his health. Yeah. Well, there's, there's no chance. They right. play every other day. So it's, I don't know, it's just a fascinating way to look back and think like, what ex- how do we, what do we make of this Jimmy Butler performance? Because we in, saw incredible highs and incredible, incredible lows. lows. And I, it's like and I st- still he's a top five player in the playoffs. Right, and I, I think you walk away from it saying you need Jimmy Butler probably isn't your number one to win the NBA Finals, right? Like you're not winning a title if Butler's your best player. Oh, winning the title? Yeah, no, probably not. I mean, obviously no. they went two years ago in the yes. bubble when Butler was their best player, but it, it just it still feels like you walk away from this. They saying, need one better guy, right? You're you're not, and that's win hard the to title. get. It is oh very hard. I mean, because it'd have to be a superstar, right? Butler's a very good player, right? Right, he's just not one of the like Superstars. five or six best or whatever guys. So. I, I don't know what the exact takeaway should be from Jimmy Butler because of how variant this postseason was. All right, coming up next, Ryan Wallace joins the show. He his pants. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at Ryan Hockey Guy. I'm out. Hello, Ryan. How, how are, are you Ryan? today? I'm good, guys. How are you doing? Good. Um, is Barry Trotz going to be the next head coach of the Golden Knights? Uh, maybe. Is the oh, entire yeah. hockey maybe. world waiting on Barry Trotz to make a decision? Like the all the teams that need a coach, are they waiting on Barry Trotz? I would venture to guess that once Barry Trotz makes his decision, there will be a lot of dominoes falling around Barry Trotz. But <clears throat> given the idea that he's he's been contacted by somewhere in the ballpark of six to seven teams, I would imagine that there are a lot of teams waiting to see where he goes. And once that happens, everything else will kind of snowball from that. If you think you're in on it with him or he's giving you the insinuation that, you know, you're the leader in the clubhouse, how long do you go without risking losing your second and third guy? Uh, well, I, I think because everything's in a holding pattern, you can kind of wait things out indefinitely, right? Like if, if names start to come off the books, like if you start to see John Tortorella getting hired or you see some of the other coaches that are available that are on the market that are ready and they start getting snatched up, say Rick Tockett goes somewhere, then I think maybe a little bit of panic ensues. But as long as everything's still kind of in a holding pattern as it is right now, I think you can wait it out as long as possible. Is there any chance Barry Trotz says, you know, I'm going to take a year off and doesn't coach anybody this year? That would be remarkable. Um, I'd love to see the fallout from that. Like, you want to talk chaos theory? Like, just Barry Trotz goes out for another three or four weeks, and he's just like, ah, I'm going to take a year off. That'd be great. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, I think that there's just kind of a competitive nature in these guys. And I would imagine that, that Barry is looking beyond just coaching, right? Like, I think that there are reports out there that Barry's looking at Know, front office managerial type openings that he can seamlessly move into once he decides to be done coaching. The only way to do that is to get in 
with an organization. I don't anticipate him taking a year off, but I would really love to see what it would do to the hockey world if he chose to do that. So Rick Tockett's the next coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> uh, you know, listen, as, as much as I sit here and think about it, like of the names that are out there, of the names that are kind of bandied about right now for the, the opening for the Golden Knights, like I, I think Rick Tockett makes a lot of sense. This is a, a guy that I think can relate to his players, that knows how to treat star players. He was certainly an assistant with the Pittsburgh Penguins when they were winning Stanley Cups, so he was able to work with Phil Kessel and, Evgeny Malkin and, of course, Sidney Crosby. So uh, when you look at a, a lineup like the Golden Knights with Jack Eichel, with Mark Stone, with Alex Petrangelo, and the star power that this organization, this lineup has, a guy that can relate on that level is attractive. So I, I could see the argument for Rick Tockett. I don't know that I'm there yet, but I could certainly see it. How much does a coach's resume matter? If, like, if they hire Tockett, I think it's six seasons as a head coach. He only went to the postseason one time, and that was the bubble year. Like, how much does that matter resume-wise when you're hiring a coach? Well, when you're following up Gerard Gallant and Pete DeBoer, I think that it's a talking point, right? Like, you're talking about coaches that with the, with the Golden Knights were over 600 points percentage, which is really really good in today's nhl pete DeBoer was 650 and and was you know let go after three seasons two and a half really um i think it's important because when you look at rick tockett's entire body of work as a head coach he's under 500 it's not really what you'd expect to move this team in the right direction but you could also make the same argument that rick tockett was was head coach first time around with a Tampa Bay team that was rebuilding and an Arizona Coyotes team that, well, you all can insert Arizona <laughs> Coyote joke here. So I don't know that it's as much about Rick Tockett's coaching ability as it is the team and the talent that he was handed. So I think the argument stands that if Rick Tockett has a lineup like the Golden Knights with the talent that they have, he should be able to maximize or get more out of that lineup and be better than his previous records would indicate. Is it embarrassing we're all secretly hoping Gerard Gallant wins the Stanley Cup and lifts it over his head? No, I don't think so. I mean, like, listen, he's he's woven into the fabric of this organization's DNA. He's always going to be the first coach in franchise history. He's always going to be the only coach right now that's taken this team to a Stanley Cup final. Like, I I think that it's absolutely okay to want to see him succeed. And, you know, if if... Gerard Gallant gets to a cup final or wins a Stanley Cup. Uh, as much as it's about Gerard Gallant, it's also going to be about Igor Shesterkin because that's the story for me when it comes to the New York Rangers. Who has more points in the conference finals, McDavid or McKinnon? Oh, McDavid. Yeah, McDavid. And it's not even close? Oh, I thought I thought you were going to ask me Shesterkin or Reeve. Like I thought that was going to be. <laughs> well, that's an obvious one. On, that's, an ob- no, that's an ob- That's even more obvious than McDavid. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. Um, okay, I I think it'll be McDavid. I think it'll be by probably four points. Um, pretty significant. But yeah, but like I I I I'm not sure where I fall yet on my picks. Like I'm going to pick on the show today. I keep wanting to pick Colorado just because I, I feel like they're a better team and I like their jerseys more than the terrible Oilers home jerseys. But for whatever reason, I keep getting pulled back into Connor McDavid's stratosphere. So I, I'm not sure which direction I'm going, but I think McDavid's going to continue to be the best player in these playoffs. And, and I don't think McKinnon's going to come particularly close to that. 
All right, follow-up question. Who has more points, McDavid or Dreisaitl? Oh, that's the real question. Um, they might actually end up tied at the end of the series. Like, Dreisaitl is able to collect points like you've never seen. Like, you know, you, you look at that series against the, the Calgary Flames, you look at the final game, and Dreisaitl just walks out of there with a cool four-point effort. No one really is any of the wiser. Everyone's talking about McDavid and his one goal to win the series, but Dreisaitl was phenomenal. Um, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say it's McDavid. I still think Dreisaitl's hampered. I think it's going to be harder for him to get to the areas he needs to against Colorado. So I think it's going to be McDavid, Dreisaitl, then McKinnon in terms of the, the scoring race for this conference final. Does uh, Vander Kane somehow score more goals than everybody else again? Uh, yeah, he's playing on a line with Connor McDavid. Of course he does. <laughs> Uh, this is like every hold on every goal that you that that Evander Kane scores. Just count that as a listen. point as a goal for Connor McDavid. No, no, Seriously. listen, listen here. Everybody wants to say that Kane's being carried by McDavid. The opposite is uh-huh. true. Connor McDavid has won more postseason games this season with Evander <laughs> Kane than his entire career. That's a hell of a take. It's, it's accurate. It's wrong. <laughs> it's wrong, but it's a hell of a take. He hasn't take. been to the Western Conference Finals without Evander Kane on his team. Sure, yeah. Evander Kane hasn't scored 12 playoff goals since he started playing with Connor McDavid. Like, chicken or the egg, Tyler. Come on. Evander Kane's been to the Conference Finals before without Connor McDavid. He has been, but he has not been this prolific without Connor McDavid. But he's been here. Not even close. He's been here, and McDavid hasn't. It's all a Vander. This is a Vander Kane. He's been too preoccupied in the past fighting Ryan Reeves instead of scoring goals. Like, come on. What are we we even arguing? Yeah. All Connor McDavid had to do was make sure he didn't play against Ryan Reeves, and he's awesome. That's all that had to happen. Yeah. Just get Ryan Reeves in the East, and and you're good. Now, once they get to the finals against the Rangers, that's going to be a problem, but, you know. You yeah, Evander Kane won't score any goals, and he'll be, he'll be suspended <laughs> by game three. Kind of ridiculous. Anyway, I mean, you have two, at least seems like polar opposites with goalies in these both these two series. Is there any way to predict the Edmonton-Colorado? Uh, I, no, I, I don't think so. <laughs> like, Mike Smith can either be phenomenal or he can be, you know, allowing goals from 132 feet away that he is blaming on everyone else in a phantom. So uh, I don't know, like Darcy Kemper has been fine, but he hasn't really been tested all that much. And when he has been tested, he's been a bit shaky. I think there's going to be a lot of goals in the Western conference final. I think it's going to be a back and forth series. Like I don't think one team is going to absolutely roll the other team. Um, And if goaltending is bad, we get a lot of goals and it should be really entertaining. I don't know that there's a way to predict outside of Connor McDavid is playing at a level. No one else is right now. It's hard to go against that. Wait, so you told us you weren't uh, decided yet on your pick in the West. Have, have you decided yeah, no. who you think's coming out of the East? Ooh, that's a really good question. So history over the last, you know, three years will tell you that unless it's Columbus and unless it's John Tortorella, the Tampa Bay Lightning <laughs> just simply do not lose. However, Andre Vasilevsky versus Igor Shosturkin this year, Shosturkin 3-0 and against the Tampa Bay Lightning. There are so many reasons to pick the New York Rangers. So many. But it's really hard for me to go against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm not going to give you my pick. All I'm going to say is I'm agonizing over this one about the same as I am Edmonton and Colorado, but for the exact opposite reason. 
I don't know that anyone's going to score because the goaltenders are so <laughs> damn good in this series. Every game might be one nothing, and it might be the best hockey we see all season long. All right, he's Ryan Wallace. Hear his actual predictions on the VGK Insider Show later today over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Ryan, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. It. Right, thanks, guys. So there is Ryan Wallace, and we have tickets to give away. Uh, we got two tickets to go see Jurassic World Dominion. This is a sneak premiere Tuesday, June 7th at 7 p.m. The movie doesn't actually come out until June 10th, but a few days earlier, you can see this before it's actually in theater. So if you want to go see Jurassic World Dominion a few days early, we've got tickets for you right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100. You'll get tickets to go see an early premiere of Jurassic World Dominion. We'll take caller number seven. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Congratulations to Tom. He won a pair of tickets to go see the new Jurassic World movie early. A sneak preview a few days before it actually hits theaters. Ed is gone. I don't even... Danny, what did he say you had to go do? I forgot. Uh, I think he had a Zoom meeting. All right. Ed is gone <laughs> to have a Zoom meeting. Uh, Jared's here. Jared, where have you been? I have been taking care of some other shows that are part of my responsibility because I apparently am the Ben Zobrist of board ops. So I had to fill in on a show at 8 o'clock and then at 7 something I was doing emails because we went off the air. Oh, I probably shouldn't say that. Uh, We had some technical difficulties over the weekend that I was trying to investigate. All right. Have you ever been slapped over fantasy football? Uh, I've been punched, but no, I haven't ever been slapped. What's worse? All right. Well, that's worse. What do you mean? Like, yes, that counts. What uh, did you get over fantasy football? Yeah. What did you get punched for? I drafted a guy ahead of, oh, God, I wanted—I can't even remember who it was, but I remember the punch. We were at a Buffalo Wild Wings, and all offseason – my friend Spencer had been talking up this one uh, wide receiver for the. Oh, no, it was CJ Spiller. He had been talking up CJ Spiller all off season, And I literally was like, well, all right, it's the fifth round. I need another running back. I'll take CJ Spiller. And he went right. He, he had the pick right after me. And I got I literally got punched in the face. And you're still friends with this person. Yeah, it was funny. I was really hoping he said it was because of like a first round kicker or something ridiculous. What? I don't understand. <laughs> I, if you, you really you, like a player in fantasy football, you don't tell everybody about him. Exactly. Some people. So, so that, that's hey, he, right. He learns that is, lesson. This, you should have punched him. Like when CJ Spiller ultimately sucked. Like, you should have punched him. He's the one that deserved oh, the punch in this I, scenario. I tried to trade him back to him for for basically a kicker or a defense all season because, yeah, C.J. Siller did suck. That's but, even worse than Tommy Pham. Well, Tommy Pham waited seven months. Yeah, that's a lot of pent-up anger yeah. if you wait seven have months. Have you ever been mad at something for seven months? Uh, n- not including, like, a relationship? I think including a relationship. I can't yeah, think of anything. something I've been mad at for seven months. Okay, yeah, uh, I've I've had some real messy breakups that have like basically 
yeah, your blood boils every once in a while thinking back. But like on everything it. was over, and seven months later, if you saw that person, you'd slap him in the face. Well, no, because they're a woman. So, no, I wouldn't be physically violent. But seven I, months later, you would think about slapping I would, him in the it, face. It, it took, I, I would hit myself in anger. Person. I've never been that mad for seven months. Either am I. Not even, I don't even think I've been that mad for seven minutes. I mean, maybe not that level Usually of anger. Usually I, I throw the one PlayStation controller, it shatters, and you go, oh, man, I probably shouldn't have done that. Right, and then it's over. I'll admit, I've I've had anger for, like, 10 or 15 minutes just because, like, one of my previous jobs was testing video games. And, you know... What during, are you doing here? During the test, you have to do certain things, and then, like, if if you're, like, trying to... I don't know, like run through a level or something, you get all the way to the end that took a half hour and then you die and have to restart. That's and you didn't, you didn't complete your assignment. Hold so on, you... I, need, I need more information on this. Go How ahead. much did you get paid? Oh, it was, I, it was terrible pay. Okay, like terrible pay, like minimum wage or like? Um, I think it was when I left after three years, I think I was making like 12 bucks. Okay. Can I can I guess the name of the company? Does it is it was it Take Two? Possibly. Okay. <laughs> what what did your day entail? Uh, it depended on what game I was working on. Uh, I worked on um, some sports games, some shooter games. So it depended on what I was working on. So like you got a copy of this before it was released, and it was like, hey, play this, tell us what's good and what's bad. No, No? uh, you work in a studio, and you just try to find bugs. I was a QA tester. Okay. So you go in somewhere, and they get basically, they don't necessarily send you home a copy, but you go in somewhere, and you play Mm -hmm. it and tell them, hey, this is screwed up. Yes, they were very private about information with games, so you literally could not... I think we even had to sign NDAs. Like you yeah. couldn't talk about anything. You couldn't take games out of the out of the building. You couldn't do anything. How often was there like a major bug? Like oh, not all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. All the time. Like I, I'll never forget. We had a um, so when studios submit games, it costs tens of thousands of dollars to submit them. And we found a uh, a bug in one game that crashed the game, and this bug was unavoidable. It was ten minutes into the game, and it would crash every time, so you couldn't get around it. And this was like six hours before we were supposed to submit, so we had to. I guess completely, that's better than six hours. We after had to get a whole new build. All right. Okay. I'm. I just am thinking like, oh, when the guy shoots a three, it comes out of the wrong hand. But this is just the whole game crashes. It's not a very good game.